Go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be looking at today. John chapter 4. And we're going to uh, be talking about what is becoming one of my favorite stories in the Word. And it's a very familiar story. Many of you, if not all of you, have heard this story about this woman. And matter of fact, Cornell uh, even preached on it uh, a short time ago, then a few weeks ago. So it gets, it gets a, lot of, uh, a lot of attention. And so it's going to get some more attention today. You know, it's coincidentally happens to be Mother's Day. But uh, I'm going to probably share from a different perspective today. But anyway, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for your goodness. We love you because you first loved us. We get the opportunity to draw close to you. We thank you for what, what's happening in, in Rhonda's life and, and over there in, in Uganda, allowing her that opportunity to partner with you and just to make an impact in people's lives. And Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts today. And we give you permission to speak to us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to bless us, to convict us. And all that you want to do, all of us open our hearts, Father, men and women together. We open our hearts and we say, Holy Spirit, I want to learn more from you. I want to draw closer to you. I want to be more of an effective servant, effective son and daughter for your kingdom. To love people and impact their lives. And so we thank you for this opportunity, Father. And we declare that our hearts are fertile soil fertile soil for the seed of your word that it will be planted in our hearts and it will bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold because we choose to be intentional doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The topic or the name of the sermon is Overcoming Five Rejections, Lessons from the Amazing Woman at the Well. Lessons from the Amazing Woman at the Well. Um, Let's read, starting with verse 4, John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. And this is out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can, you afford, how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. 
Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that G Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where, whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring food to him while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And, know, and now the saying, excuse me, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around, the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What a joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two, two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world. You know, a lot of times when this story is, is um, shared, it comes from, I believe it comes from a, a perspective of this lady being a sinner. Being, it's been, you know, she has a, she's a negative person because she's had five husbands and she's living with a man that she's not even married to. And I, I think I, I, I'm taking a different look on this or I'm beginning to see it in a different light. But first of all, let's look at her situation. Oftentimes she's portrayed as a sinner like a prostitute or a very loose woman because she's had five husbands. She wasn't, now, here's the interesting thing. Five husbands with a man that she's not married to, but she wasn't the one doing the divorcing. See, back in that day, women were not allowed to divorce the men. Except for a very extreme cases, women were not allowed to divorce men. So she was divorced upon. She was the one who was being on the other end of being divorced. So five men either divorced her or widowed her. So she's either been rejected or she lost a spouse uh, to death or both. And either one of those situations are just as tragic. 
She was also a woman in a society where women were not highly valued. She was not valued because she was a woman. And she was a Samaritan, despised by Jews. Jews viewed Samaritans as half-breeds, dogs. Um, you know, it was very common for, their, for Samaritans to be beaten by Jews just because they're Samaritans. And so not only was this woman a Samaritan, but she was a woman, a Samaritan woman. And you know, it's interesting that, that one thing about women back in that, that day, um, they were not allowed to be witnesses to a crime or any court case or they were not allowed to be witnesses because they were liars. They couldn't be trusted. And I was just thinking about this. You know, so if, if, if a man happened to murder somebody and the only people who saw and witnessed that murder were women, then that was his lucky day. Because he'd probably get off because the women couldn't testify. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. You know, and it, it's interesting because I, I've had the privilege of going to Israel. I've had the privilege of going to Iraq. And I, so I've been in cultures, even today, where women are still viewed uh, as property. Um, I don't even know if you could say second class. And I remember when I was in Iraq and uh, I, was, I had the privilege of meeting these, these different guys. And, and one thing about it, uh, people in Iraq, they love Pepsi, American Pepsi. They, they'll sit down and they'll invite you to a Pepsi. Oh, would you like a Pepsi? Now, they would say it in, their, in Arabic. And so I, I just knew my friend was telling me what they were saying. And they were offering me a bottle of Pepsi. And it was a nice cold. <laughs> but it was a nice Pepsi anyway. But what I noticed is the men would be over just hanging out, talking, and drinking Pepsi. You look over across the street or the, the road in the fields, and you saw these ladies. Not only were they, they, they um, uh, I mean, it looked like you went back in time like 100 years, as I would imagine it, where there were no tractors out there. There were no, there were no combines. There were no uh, big machinery. But it was like oxen or bulls or whatever, and they would pull that, that uh, plow, and the women would be, you know, plowing the ground fully covered. Fully covered. And it's probably a thousand degrees outside. <laughs> Give or take a few hundred degrees. I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty interesting. And these guys are drinking Pepsi and pretty much slaves. And these are their wives. Moms, probably wives, moms, daughters, sisters, or whatever. And, and so a lot of times, uh, women will find themselves in situations where they're not valued. And this woman was definitely in that, in that time. And also, um, being married so many times made people look upon her with suspicion. And they probably viewed her as cursed because so many men were either leaving her or dying on her. So people knew that she was married so many times, and they probably were like, whoa, that woman is trouble. So not only was she viewed because of the many marriages viewed negatively, but she's also a woman, and she was a Samaritan. So you can imagine her heart condition. Probably had some major trust issues concerning men. You know, she's devastated, heartbroken, rejected, alone. And even the guy she was living with would marry her. Now, we don't know enough about that situation to know whether it was her saying, no, I'm not marrying anybody else, or he was like, no, nah, let's try this out for a while. 
but I'm not going to marry you right now. We don't know if it was both of them or, or we don't know why. Uh, maybe she just gave up on marriage. But what can we learn from her? Why is this woman amazing to me? Because I see this woman, as I read this story, I find this woman very fascinating and very amazing. It's not because of her circumstances. But she didn't let her circumstances define her or shut her down. She didn't allow her circumstances that she found herself in to stop her or shut her down. I mean, what, what she went through would stop many people in their tracks. They're like, I'm done. I'm done with men. I'm done with people. I'm just done. But she didn't, um, she wasn't in that. And you say, how do you know? We'll, we'll get to that. She didn't let her circumstances define her. She had the opportunity to shut down in a puddle of discouragement and despair, hopelessness and helplessness, but she didn't. And she talked to Jesus when she wasn't supposed to. When Jesus approached her, or excuse me, when she approached Jesus, he was already at the well, and she approached him, approaching the well, and he started talking to her. She was not supposed to talk back. He wasn't supposed to be talking to her. Jesus was breaking a major cultural rule big time it's not proper for a man and a woman to be alone if you're not married and he wasn't supposed to be talking to her and something I learned too is that when he was asking her for a drink of water it wasn't just now obviously he was tired and weary and thirsty so he was wanting some water but him asking her for water was asking for permission to enter into a dialogue And in her circumstance, her heart condition with men, her experience, and here's a man who's a Jew, because she recognized, obviously from how he was dressed or he appeared, she recognized he was a Jew. It's like, oh no, not one of them. But she engaged in conversation with him. She should have just got her water, ignored him, pretended like he wasn't there, got her water, and went on her business. And she would have been totally justified in that in that response, but that's not what she did. She ended up talking to him. She should not have only been suspicious of him, but she had a right to even be afraid. You know, he could have been setting her up. Hey, woman, give me a drink. And she starts a dialogue, and then he begins to beat her or whatever because she broke the rules. So he could have been setting her up because, again, it was common for for Jews to beat Samaritans. And so here is a Samaritan woman. Here's an opportunity to get back at them. So all she knows, it could have been a setup. And you know, a suspicious heart would have said, there's no way I'm trusting this situation. There ain't no way I'm going there. But apparently her heart wasn't too full of suspicion because she engaged. Not only with a man, but with a Jewish Man, and I find that very fascinating. So she engaged in conversation with him, and more than that, she discussed theology with him. That's another no-no. For a, uh, for a man and woman to have this kind of conversation was definitely, probably illegal. Because men were not allowed to teach women theology, particularly alone. And the more they talked, I bet her heart was beginning to burn and come alive. You know, we know, we see how Jesus is when we see him, his interactions with people, particularly women. Now, we know, because we're from this side, looking back on history, and we, so we know things about Jesus. This lady didn't have any clue who he was. So we know that his interaction with her is going to be nothing but good, right? 
I mean, we have that, that understanding. She didn't have that understanding. But we also see how Jesus treated women in the Bible. He kept breaking the rules. And, and it was interesting because it was like he was going out of his way to show us how he feels about ladies. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Obviously, she was committing adultery by herself because she's the only one brought out there, obviously. But she was brought out there to be shamed and humiliated and, and possibly even killed. If Jesus would have followed the law, she would have been dead. But what did he do? He, in wisdom, he got her off. And he didn't excuse her sin because obviously if she was an adulterer, she was committing sin. He said, now go and sin no more. But he says, I don't judge you. It's like he was restoring her dignity. And if I understand right, historically, I think she became one of his followers. So we see how, you know, the woman with the, the Syrophoenician woman who had the possessed daughter. Remember that whole situation? She was saying, Jesus, son of David, you know, help me. And Jesus ignored her. And the disciples are like, woman, get out of here. And they were getting frustrated with it. Jesus, Jesus, send this woman away. But then she said, son of David. She called him by that name. She re- In other words, she was appealing to his, his um, identity as the son of God. She was appealing to that. Please help me. Jesus began to engage with her. And then after that discourse, he honored her. He honored her. And the disciples were watching. It's like, hmm, interesting. Remember the woman who um, um, she broke the expensive perfume jar and, and washed and wiped you know, her, Jesus' feet with her hair and everything. Remember that? And then he was at Simon the leper's house or Pharisee, some guy, some religious dude. He was at his house and he was like, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was touching him. And that woman's story is told all over the world. Jesus honored, honored her. And so if we would, just in that alone, just watching, how, watching Jesus' discourse with ladies. And so the more they talked, this woman and this man, uh, Jesus and this woman talked, I bet her heart was beginning to burn and come alive. She probably never felt so honored and respected by a man before. But then she was exposed. She realized that he knew all about her past, her past rejections, her past failed relationships and marriages, how five men had left her heartbroken and one, in one way or another, either through death or divorce. But the acceptance she felt by this Jewish man was so different, so heartwarming, so life-giving. And I find it interesting. She says the Messiah is coming and he will explain everything to us. Remember that when she said that in the word. Well, we know the Messiah is coming and he will explain everything to us. She didn't say he will explain everything to the men. He will explain everything to us. So at least her theology, her belief was that the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to talk to us, men and women. And then Jesus said, I am. And I think by that time, the reason why she was able to believe him, because what was leading up to that point? Her heart was getting hotter and hotter. She was feeling more and more affirmed, and she was like, now this is different. This is different than what I'm used to. She felt his love, his acceptance. 
And remember, Jesus, he said, he said, I know, because he said, remember, he said, go get your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He said, I know, you've had five, and the man you're living with is not your husband. And he wasn't bringing that up to shame her. I believe he was bringing that up. I learned this uh, from a podcast I listened to weeks ago, and it was so wonderful. He was bringing that up to let her know that he understood the rejection that she had been through. You've been rejected five times, either through death or um, divorce. He said, I recognize, but I don't reject you. I fully embrace and accept you. And so all of a sudden, when he says, I am, it was so easy for her to believe him because remember she said, now when, when the Messiah comes, he's going he's gonna to teach us all. And then it's like, what have I been doing these last few moments? She's like, it is you. And it was so significant that she probably had a freak out moment. And then she dropped or left her water pot and went back into town. And the water pot, her, that is a very significant piece of equipment. Very significant. And I, I learned this or read this, that it, it's just as significant. Now, it wasn't her livelihood, so it wasn't significant like that. But it was significant in her daily dealings, just like a fisherman's net would be to him. So that was not just some random piece of equipment. It was very important, and she left it there. I mean, she was so blown away by this new revelation and this new relationship that she went into town and told everybody, check out who I just discovered. She went and testified of Jesus to her entire town. The woman who experienced all that rejection and heartbreak and discrimination, because she didn't shut down, she had an encounter that not only impacted her, but through her brought salvation to an entire town. Because, see, remember, if she would have been shut down, if she would have been full of, of untrust and suspicion and, and all that, and if she, her heart would have been shut down, she would not have allowed the encounter that Jesus wanted to have with her. And then, so her life would have stayed the same, and then the people in the village would have missed out on this wonderful gift that God was bringing their way. And so because she was open, now obviously... I'm having to speculate because I don't know her, the condition of her heart, but just, just looking at what appears in that story, it's amazing that her heart stayed open and as a result, many lives were saved. So what can we learn from her? We can learn to overcome five rejections that I believe she faced, five rejections. And ladies, I'm, I'm specifically speaking to you about ladies, but brothers, we can definitely learn from this as well. Maybe you've been rejected, ladies, simply because you're a woman. Simply because you're female. Now, I'm not talking back 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about 2017. Maybe you've been passed over by a man because he's a man and you're a woman. Or maybe you've just been, feel, you've been treated a certain way, discriminated against, belittled. I want you to understand how Jesus sees you. And I want to encourage you to, from this day forward, if you're not already, to let your identity come specifically from him. 
And remember, the Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Exact. So if you want to know what's in the heart of God, just look at and see how Jesus was. If you see how Jesus treated ladies, then that's how the Father feels about ladies. Because see, sometimes we can look at Jesus and think, man, Jesus was all good and nice and sweet, but man, this God, woo, he's scary. The Bible says Jesus is the exact. Everybody say exact. exact. Not almost. Not kind of, sort of. He's the exact representation of the Father. And the Father sent Jesus so we can get an exact picture and understanding of what the Father's heart is. So I want to encourage you ladies, maybe you've been reduced to second class by individuals, by society, or even the church community. You know, because the religious leaders, even Jesus' disciples had looked down on women because that's what, that's what they grew up in. And remember when Jesus was talking to this Samaritan woman, they were looking at him like, what in the world? But they didn't have the guts to ask him, what are you doing talking to this woman? If anybody was tempted, it would have been Peter. But he, no, I'm not touching this. I'm not going there. But your value must come from Jesus. Do not let society determine your value. Jesus went out of his way to restore the dignity and display the value of women. He did it often. And when you see how he treated them, you can glean a clear understanding of how he feels about you. And you know, I find it fascinating. Remember, ladies are not allowed to be, they weren't allowed to be witnesses for a crime. Who were the first, who were the first ones to see Jesus as he, raised, he was raised from the dead? Hmm, coincidence? And you know what he said? You know what he told those women? He said, go testify. Go tell the others. He's breaking the rules again. What is wrong with him? <laughs> Ladies, you go tell the rest. They had the privilege of being the very first ones to see him, and he commissioned them to go tell the others. Or number two, maybe you've been rejected because of your nationality or your race. So not only because you're a woman, but maybe because you're a woman from another country. Or maybe you're a woman of a different color. And people look down upon you. I mean, this woman was a Samaritan. Bad, 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 bad. You know, and another thing that, that Jesus did, this rebel that we're talking about, Remember when he told the story when, when the guy said, he said, What's, what do I need to do? What's the greatest commandment? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember that? The whole law, if you want to honor God, it's all summed up in this. Love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself. The man said, who's my neighbor? All right, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells, he's a, Jesus is about to reveal this, probably the most important truth. He's about to unpackage it and who's the main character? Who's the hero in this story? The story is called the Good Samaritan. 
the half-breeds, the dogs. Jesus elevated them to status of hero. And he said, you know, because he was, he was talking to Jews. He was talking to religious people. And he used two examples. He says, you know, the Levi went, saw the beaten man, and went on his way. The uh, rabbi went and saw the man and went on his way. Like, nope, I don't want to touch him. I might become unclean and can't worship. And then this third guy, Samaritan, came along and saw this beaten man. He gets off his donkey and he takes care of him. He ministers to him. And then he takes him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn and says, take care of him and, and, and says, I'll take care of whatever I owe you, I'll take care of it. So he fully took care of this stranger who was probably a Jew. I'm sure he was a Jew. And the hero was a Samaritan. And then Jesus says to these people who were trying to trick him, he says, now, go and do the same. I mean, throwing stuff all in their face. So he's like, you wanting me to be like that Samaritan? Exactly. So if you've experienced discrimination because of your nationality or your color, understand that that's not how Jesus sees you. Understand the value that he places in you because, one, he created you. You know, heaven celebrates the diversity of nationalities. Celebrates, not tolerates. See, some of us ladies have been made to feel tolerated. Jesus celebrates you. And we at New Covenant are learning to celebrate you too. About to have a party off in here. Okay, number three, maybe you're divorced and you felt rejected by the church community. See, a lot of times divorced people don't have a hard time in the world. It's no big deal. It's in the church that you experience the, the uh-oh. If you've been divorced, the Father fully embraces you, fully accepts you, fully forgives you. There needs to be any forgiveness. And so do we. So do we. You know, I, was, I worked for the Payne County Youth Services years ago, and I worked at the youth shelter. <clears throat> and I remember this one young man I had to watch. He was on suicide watch. And uh, so I had to keep an eye on him and everything. And I mean, it was the middle of the night, and I heard this banging, bam, 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 bam. And I jump up and I run into his room and he's banging his head against the wall. I mean hard. I mean, I was getting a headache just seeing what he was doing. And I grabbed him and stopped him. And he was crying. I calmed him down and everything. Got to talk to him. Find out what was going on. And uh, broke the rules, led him to the Lord. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) I can get fired for that. Oh yeah, I'm not working for him anymore. And I started talking to him and, and found out what was going on. And, and here's, his, here's one of the, I don't remember what his main heart issue was, but one of his heart issues was his mom. The church they went to, his mom was divorced. 
Don't know the circumstances behind that. But um, basically, they were treated, or he felt like she was being treated as though the, the divorce was the unpardonable sin. Because he noticed how she was being treated by the church. Now, one thing we've got to take into consideration, remember, there's always two sides. Always two sides. So I don't know all the circumstances, whatever, I was just hearing his side, but I do understand a little bit of what he meant because I'm, I'm aware of how we as the church view or treat people who've been through divorce. And we're going to stop it. Because we're going to choose to align ourselves up and partner with the Father who is full of mercy and grace and empowerment and excitement and says, okay, that's then, let's go. This is now. Let's do this. Amen? Amen. Number four. Fourth rejection. Maybe because you're not a career woman. I don't know what this woman's career was. But whatever it was, she's probably despised for it. But maybe you've chosen, instead of going out and getting a career, whatever, you've chosen to stay home and take care of them beautiful little babies. You've chosen to raise them up and, and do uh, an honorable thing. Not that there's anything wrong with getting a career at all, but you've chosen this path, and because of that path, because I believe the majority of people are doing the other thing, you're looked down upon. You're frowned upon. You're made to feel like, oh, oh, you stay at home. Oh, you poor thing. So what do you do? Why stay at home, raise my kids? Oh. You know that, then from that point on, they kind of tolerate you because you're one of those ladies. Probably weren't smart enough or educated enough or gifted enough to cut it in the real world. So you just had to stay home. Can you imagine how God feels about you? Can you imagine how Jesus celebrates you? You know, the Lord showed me a picture a long time ago, and I keep forgetting to research it. If anybody knows this, please let me know, because I don't know if it's true, but I believe it is. I can't prove it yet because I haven't researched it out. But the Lord showed me something one time, showed me a picture of um, there was a, uh, maybe it's a certain tribe, of Native Americans or, or whatever. But the picture I got was of ladies, these ladies in the tribe sharpening the arrowheads. They were, they were making the arrowheads and sharpening them and everything. And then they were giving them to the warriors, the husbands or whatever, sons. And then the sons and the husbands, the warriors were going out in the battle and using those arrows that were sharpened by the women to, to kill food or to kill the enemy. And the Lord was showing me that picture because he was showing me in my position, you know, I have five amazing sons and an incredible daughter. But my four older sons, they're amazing. They do, they do different things or whatever. Well, who gets the credit? And what I mean by that is the compliments. Man, CJ, wow, you've done a great job raising your sons. Man, you're, you're you know, and I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But it's like, hmm. 
And I remember taking my sons, when they, when they would turn of age, 11 years old, they were able to go with me on mission trips or ministry trips and, and different things. And they would preach or, or lay hands on the sick and see them get healed. They would do crazy, amazing things. And it was just, it was awesome seeing that. And then it was, I believe it was on a plane. I believe it was on a plane on one of those trips. The Lord showed me that vision. And it was like saw, seeing Lisa realizing she's the one sharpening these boys. Sharpening. Working on that character. Applying heat to their bottom side. <laughs> I got to participate in that too. And then I get to take those arrows and launch them. And then I remember what the Lord was showing me is that basically when the, when the squaw or the, or the female, the lady, puts together the arrow and then the man shoots it, there's a partnership, there's a team. And if the man doesn't have sharp arrows or he doesn't have any arrows, he's in trouble. So ladies, thank you for sharpening those arrows. And the last rejection, so so far we've talked about being rejected because you're a woman, being rejected because you're a woman of color, being a divorced woman, or a woman of, of a non-career woman, and number five, maybe you feel like no man wants to marry you. You desire to be married, but you still find yourself single. You know, for whatever reason, this lady was living with a man who didn't marry her. They weren't married. Don't know if he's like, I ain't taking no chances. We don't know what the case is. But maybe you desire to be married, but for whatever reason up to this point, it hasn't happened yet. And you feel rejected, either because you're single in the way society treats you as a single person, or the church. And I know the church has fallen miserably short in this area. Because we unintentionally base everything around couples, marriages, families. And we forget that single people are whole units. They're not broken. They're just a single unit, but they're part of the family. But we're learning. Be patient with us. We are learning how to do this better, do it right. But maybe you just don't feel that men want to marry you but you desire to be married. As a brother, I just want to share a few things. And I don't mean for them to be pat answers if they come across that way. First of all, sisters, I, I with all my heart, challenge you that you have to find your ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. You have to find fulfillment in him. Otherwise, you'll go from being a very discontented single woman to being a very disappointed married one sometimes you may think that man if I were just married I would be complete I would be whole I'd be happy I'd be satisfied and then if you go into marriage with that weight and then you put that upon your husband you are going to be solely disappointed because no husband or no wife can take that and I think that's a lot of times what happens in marriages why they don't succeed 
is we go into marriage thinking she's going to be my all in all. She's going to fix me, take care of me, do all this kind of stuff. And it just doesn't work. You know, even to this day, I love my wife. We've been married 27 years, just finished celebrating our 20. Well, actually, we're not finished celebrating yet. 27 years. And actually, we got to celebrate our 20, it was our 27th wedding anniversary, and we celebrated with about 200 cops and their wives. Imagine that, right? And it was awesome. We had a great time. We've been married for 27 years, and she's my best friend. I love her to pieces, and I pay her to say the same about me. (laughs) However, we both realize, she realizes this as much as I do, if I put all my expectation on her, she's got to fulfill and meet all my needs, it's going to kill her, and it'll destroy our relationship. My fulfillment has to come from him first, her second. And it's got to be that way with all of us. Another thing I would like to share is no man is interested in a bitter woman. If you're bitter, you're full of bitterness, pain, all that kind of stuff, I understand the pain, but bitterness is not an attractive trait. If you carry that bitterness, that's going to be like a a propellant. Or if you attract a man, I guarantee he's not going to be the right kind. And I'm going to tell you this too, if, if you carry and wear the victim mentality, you will attract the wrong kind of man. I've seen it so often, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Ladies who are broken, who have been beaten, or who have been, they find themselves in the circumstances horrendous circumstances, and they, and they carry that. They have no self-worth. You don't, este- you don't esteem yourself highly. And so then you're looking for a man to esteem you. He perceives you don't esteem yourself highly, and then he begins to treat you like you feel like you're worth. And you are worth a whole lot more. Regardless of your past, regardless of your past, You deserve the best. You deserve the best. And sometimes I get defensive as a a brother. I get defensive when I see some of my sisters hanging out with these punks. I'm just being real. And I just thought this, but ladies, I would encourage you, single ladies, you know, when you begin to maybe move into a dating relationship with with a man, I would encourage, I just offer this advice, just this little tidbit. With a, with a man, a brother that you trust, invite him into that arena. In other words, you know, this guy said, hey, baby, let's hook up. Let's get together. Let me take you out. Say, oh, I'd love to. I'd like you to meet my brother first. And let me and him go out first. And then if I have to come back and tell you bad news, I'm sorry, he's not coming back. <laughs> then that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, when I treat my wife a certain way, I'm intentional how I treat her. She's not allowed to open doors if I'm around her. She gets her hands smacked. 
but, but I'm intentional, one, because I felt like the Lord, he, he encouraged me to do that, but two, I know when I'm with my kids, I'm modeling, and I want my boys to know, this is how you treat a woman, you treat her with love, and you cherish her with respect and dignity, and, and you serve her, and that kind of thing, and then I'm showing my daughter, this is how you will be treated, this is how you should be treated. If the young man who wants your attention doesn't treat you with this kind of respect, then he needs to go on down the road. We see too many of our daughters and our sisters getting hooked up with these punks that just want to take advantage of them and don't value you how you should be valued. Amen? I know I'm being real, but that's just the way it's going to be. Regardless of how society or the church or other people make you feel, I encourage you to believe and embrace how your creator, your heavenly father, your mighty king feels about you. He's the one who shed his blood and willingly laid down his life for you. And in the end, when you find yourself standing before him, is it going to matter what anybody else thinks about you at that moment? Those of you who have been through very, very difficult and challenging circumstances and situations and abuses and all that, know this, there is a greater grace available for you. There is a grace that God wants to extend to you that he already has and he wants to continue to extend to you so that you don't have to stay in that, that pit, but you can rise up to be who he's called you to be and who he wants to empower you to be. Four impactful things you can do. Number one, embrace his grace and learn what it truly means to forgive so you can walk in true freedom. Learn what it means to truly forgive. Embrace his grace. I heard this is a very good book. We've sold almost 50 of them. They're for $10. I'm going to sell it today for 5 Ladies, if you want to buy this book, we have a few out there. Sell them for $5 just so you can get a hold of a great resource that teaches on forgiveness. But embrace the grace to learn what, it, and learn what it really means to walk in forgiveness. I know we always say, oh, yeah, I forgive, and I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. And we know the lingo, we know the language, we know the terminology, but do we really know it in our heart? Number two, pursue Jesus passionately. Let your value come from him. He wants to show you how he sees you and who you really are. Number three, intentionally put yourself in encouraging environments. You can't afford to isolate yourself by letting life keep you too busy. Surround yourself with people who encourage and build you up, who remind you of how powerful you are, and who will celebrate you. Resist the temptation of surrounding yourself with bitter, miserable people. You know they say that misery loves company? Well, if I find myself hurt and abused and, and discouraged and all that kind of stuff, my tendency will be to, to surround myself with people who are in the same circumstance so we can kind of lick each other's wounds. And what happens is, is we encourage each other to stay in that miserable condition. And it may feel kind of satisfying in some kind of way for a little while, but that's just devastating. That's devastating. So I encourage you to be intentional and, and surround yourself with empowering people. I believe that this environment, this church family, we are learning to be empowering people. We're becoming more and more and more that way. 
I've seen people who, who've come to this church, you know, years ago, and I've seen certain maybe characteristics or weaknesses, but they just, they just kind of hung out with people in this environment who have strengths in that area of weakness, and I've seen it become their strength. And it's so amazing to see that. I mean, I start freaking out because I get so excited. And it wasn't like anybody had to tell them, you need to change this. You need to stop doing this. You need to quit being that way. Now, there's times for that. There's times for confrontation, sharing the truth and love. But I'm just talking about people being in this environment or being around people who are strong in a certain area and then because their, their values are what they need and they begin to adopt those values and all of a sudden they begin to get strong. You are a powerful woman. And he wants you to realize that. Because there are too many people out there, and believe me, I'm coming in contact with them more and more in what I do. Did a death notification this last week. And I'm around people who aren't Christians, who don't go to church. It's a whole new thing for me. It's like, really? I've done about eight or nine death notifications, and from what I can tell, All of them except one didn't have any Christian connection. So we're talking about people dying without Christ. That's a whole new ballgame that I'm used to. The funerals that I do are my brothers and sisters that I've done. And I haven't had to do any of those funerals yet. I haven't been asked to. But I mean, it's just crazy. And the point is, they need you. They need you. And number four... The last thing you do, you have to make declarations over yourself, reminding yourself of who you are and whose you are. You need to make daily declarations about yourself. And I'm going to lead you in a few, and then I want to pray over my, my sisters, if that's okay. Is that all right? Okay, if you trust me, then I want you to, make, I want you to repeat these declarations after me. We ready? All right. I am greatly valued by my Heavenly Father. I am greatly valued by my church family. I am a loving, compassionate, and powerful woman. Don't say that. Don't say that, Chris. Don't say that. Today I choose to forgive and walk in true forgiveness. Okay, that was too long. Today I choose to forgive, Today I choose to forgive and, walk and walk in true forgiveness. True forgiveness. Yes. I choose to embrace the grace that Jesus has made available for me. I will accomplish all that my Father has planned for me. And I am excited about all the adventures that my Father has for me. I would encourage you to make those kind of declarations or just daily making declarations about yourself of who you really are. Amen? Now, ladies, if you want those, there's only six of those. These are just some I made. If you would like these, if you send me a text, I'll just shoot these to you. But I'm going to ask the ladies to stand up. If you're 18 or older, please stand up. 18 or older women, please stand up. Ladies 18 or older... Ladies, 18 or older. <laughs> so I can be clear, all right? 
Now I want to pray over my sisters. So I want you to just close your eyes. I'm just going to pray over you. Father, first of all, we thank you for our sisters that you have strategically and wonderfully placed in our lives. For our wives, our moms, our stepmoms, our grandmas, our sisters, our sister-in-laws, our daughters, our nieces, and our cousins. We are so grateful to them for how they enrich our lives and they love and they bless us. We're so grateful for all that these powerful and amazing women, we're so grateful for all of these powerful and amazing women that we get to love, cherish, and have a relationship with. And I pray that today they will be reminded of how important and special they are to us, not only by how nice we treat them on Mother's Day, but how we value and cherish them every day of the year. Father, we as your sons, we repent and ask your forgiveness for how we've not loved nor honored and cherished our sisters in Christ, how we've neglected to treat them how you encourage and command us to. And by the grace that you give, we, your sons, will begin to love, bless, and be an encouragement to them as well as their greatest supporters. Lord, I speak your blessing on our sisters. I thank you for pouring out your amazing grace all over them that not only allows them to see themselves through your eyes, but empowers them to walk close to you in their true identity. I pray that from this day forward, they will intentionally pull on and gain all of their value and worth from you, their loving Father. That they will only welcome into their souls the encouragement from those who would champion them and that they would close their ears and hearts to the words and lies of the accuser. I thank you for giving them the amazing ability to move forward in greater trust in you. And I thank you that they, no longer allow, they are no longer allowing the hurt, the pain, the offenses from the past to identify them and determine their future. But they are intentionally cooperating with you and choosing to partner with and, be, and come into full agreement with you concerning their identity and the hope of and the future of hope, freedom, victory, and influence that you have set them for, set for them. And Father, because they choose to delight in you, I ask that you bless them with the desires of their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, ladies, you guys are amazing. I know your husbands would agree with that. And definitely Jesus does. And we are excited about all that God is not only doing now, but what he's going to be doing. And we recognize and we know here at NCF that it's going to take men and women to accomplish everything he wants to do. You have something you would like to say? And I just feel like this is a really good time to say it. I feel like it touches <clears throat> so many of um, us women, um, no matter what age. And... Um, like I said, I got this this morning in prayer. But, you know, women were created intentionally. You were created on purpose. You weren't an accident. We were created to be exactly how we are. To love beauty. To be relational. To connect emotionally. To have a different perspective. Purposefully, we were created and those are a few things. That's not everything. Those are just a few things. We are not created because there is a lack in man. Ouch. I'm going to say that again. We are not created because there is a lack in, of man. 
but we are created to show the wholeness of God. We are the other half of God. We are a representation, meaning we represent, and we are an expression of his love, of God's love, of God's goodness, and of his beauty. So as we go out today, let's celebrate. And it's okay for us to understand these qualities that we have and to celebrate them. Because as we celebrate them, we're also worshiping the Lord in them. We're thanking God. Thank you, God, for making me women. Thank you, Lord, for making me female. Thank you, Lord, for making me exactly, on purpose, intentionally, who you created and who you designed me to be. And he's created you women, you powerful, mighty women of God, the exact same way, on purpose, intentional. And not because there's a lack of man, but because he needed you to express, to be the other expression of him. So let's just celebrate that today as we go out. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up together. We're just going to close. Father, I just thank you for your goodness. And I just release your blessing on your brothers. I mean, our brothers, your sons and your daughters here. And I just thank you for encouraging, empowering them, blessing them, reminding them of how you see us. And I just pray peace, encouragement on them and their families. And I just pray that everyone has a great time of celebration today. And Lord, for those who Mother's Day may be a day of sorrow because of loss, I just thank you for your comfort over the hearts of these moms. And Lord, comfort for the hearts of the ladies who desire to be moms, but for whatever reason haven't been able to be yet. I just pray blessing, peace, healing in their hearts and in their bodies. And we just thank you, Father, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys, and you have a great Mother's Day.